Thank you, choir, for reminding us in a beautiful way those words from the Bible. Hosanna. It means the one who saves, the one who brings salvation. Salvation is here, and it is in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, we have already this morning been worshiping you. Father, through being obedient to you in baptism, Father, and celebrating new life in Christ. Father, through worshiping you in song, singing praises to your name. Father, singing the gospel out. Father, that, uh, that great is this fountain that you have washed us clean in, this fountain of the blood of Christ that you save us by and through. Father, we praise you for that. Father, we we, we, we want to shout Hosanna. But Father, the way that we know these things, the way that we know the gospel, the way that we know that Jesus has come and, and, and that faith in him brings salvation, Father, because of what he did on the cross, Father, the, the way that we know to, to be baptized, Father, the way that we know how to live our lives as followers of Christ is through your word. So, Father, as we come to this time in our service where we open up your word and study it, Lord, Father, would you open up our hearts and minds? Father, we need your help. We are weak. We are feeble. Father, we are prone to go our own way, and we need you in this moment to direct our hearts and attentions to you. Father, work in us as you see fit through your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your copy of God's word, I invite you to go ahead and turn to the book of Titus. And as I like to do, I'm going to make you think. While you turn there, okay? I'll try to make you do two things at once. Uh, and so, uh, while you're turning to the book of Titus, a uh, short book in the New Testament, um, if you'll turn there, while you're doing that, um, I want you to be thinking about the word gospel. Be turning there and be thinking about the word gospel. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. As you find that, I want to tell you what I want to do this morning uh, with you. I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. Now pause. What just went through your mind? As you thought about the word gospel, and as I said, today I want to remind you of the gospel. What was, the, what, was, what was the first thought that came to your mind? I can't read your mind. I can't read your mind. But I think that if you were thinking about the gospel um, and were thinking about those words that I said, today I want to remind you of the gospel, I think we could roughly put your response, the thoughts that went through your head, in one of three categories. Perhaps today there was a, a puzzled thought that went through your mind of, what, what is the gospel? I'm not exactly sure what that means. And maybe we could divide that category into two, and maybe you don't care. Say, I'm not sure what that is, and I don't care. Or maybe you say, I'm not sure what that is, but I think I might need to care. I think I might need to know what this is. But you're not sure. You're not sure what the gospel is. Or perhaps when I said, today I want to remind you of the gospel, your response wasn't a puzzled response. It was more of a sigh of, Exasperation. 
already know the gospel. I've already heard this. He talks about this all the time. I, I know what the gospel is. Can't we, can't we talk about something else? Per, perhaps that was your response when I said, today I want to remind you of the gospel. Or perhaps, when I said, today I want to remind you of the gospel, your response wasn't one of puzzlement. I don't know what this gospel is. It wasn't one of exasperation. I can't believe that we got to listen to the gospel again. I already know that. But perhaps your response was, yes, yes, the gospel. I know this gospel already, but I love this gospel so much that I never grow tired of hearing this gospel. And I also realize that I still probably have room to grow in my understanding of this gospel. And so I'm excited that we're going to talk about the gospel. Now, again, I can't read your minds. I don't know what went through your minds. If you're in that first category, you're like, I'm not really sure what this gospel is, then I have good news for you today. You're going to hear this gospel. And I want to tell you that you need to know what this gospel is. You don't need to, only need to know what you need to believe this gospel. If you don't know what the gospel is, then today you are not saved. I can say that with 100% confidence. If you don't know what the gospel is, you're not saved. You cannot be saved apart from knowing what this good news message of salvation is and believing in the person of this message, Jesus Christ. And so, have good news for, for you today. You're in the right place. You will hear about Jesus. And I'll go ahead and tell you, you need to believe in Him and be saved from your sin. I want to skip to the third category for a moment. If you said, I know this gospel, and I believe this gospel, and I'm excited that we're going to talk about the gospel, because I can never get enough gospel in my life, then I just want to say to you, praise the Lord. We give Him the glory and the honor for what He has done and is doing in your heart. You're going to hear the gospel today, and it's my prayer that we would grow. Even as we know the gospel, we would grow in our understanding of the gospel and be led to worship Jesus more for who He is and what He's done for us. And I want to back up to that middle category, that second category. While the first category is not a good place to be because you're not saved and you need to be, I think the more dangerous category is the second one. I already know the gospel. Can't we talk about something else? I think that's the most dangerous category to be in. Because that is a sign that your heart is hardened towards the good news of Jesus Christ that we're going to read about and talk about this morning. You see, while I can confidently say if you don't know the gospel of Jesus, you're definitely not saved. I can say with a great deal of confidence that if you know what the gospel is, but you're not excited about the gospel, and you think, I've been there, I've done that, let's move on to something else, then I'll at least say it's very likely that you're not saved. Because here's, here's the truth of the matter. One, simply knowing what the gospel is is not enough to save you. And secondly, if you have believed the gospel and God has transformed your heart, then there's no way that you cannot be excited about 
what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. And there's no way that you could grow tired and weary of hearing that message. And so, today, if you don't know what the gospel is, listen intently. And my prayer is that you will hear and understand what the gospel and believe. If you know what the gospel is, but you thought, can't we go on to something else? Then please listen intently. Because it's very likely that you need your heart transformed today by the gospel as well. We've been talking about some marks of a healthy church member. And we've looked at two so far. And this is our third one today. We began with an expositional listener. Someone who listens to God's word intently and digs into the scriptures. Um, as a pastor is preaching, wanting to know what is there. Listening very intentionally. Wanting to know what God's word says. That was a few weeks ago. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the second uh, mark of a healthy church member, and that is someone who is a biblical theologian. And just to remind you what that means, is someone who, who, who understands the main story of God's Word and then interprets the smaller parts of God's Word in light of the main story. Well, the main story is what we're going to talk about today. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our third mark of a healthy church member is this, someone who is gospel saturated. If, if we're going to have a church that is healthy, then we need to have a church that is made up of members who are saturated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just a few minutes ago, Travis was saturated with water, right? All the way under. You might not could have seen him, but he made it all the way under, okay? Almost didn't get you back up, brother, but <laughs> we, we did it. We did it. Um, to be saturated. When I think about the word saturated, I think about just dripping wet. Maybe you jump into a swimming pool and you're saturated with water. Maybe you're saturated in sweat, right? I mean, we live in a part of the world that if you want to be saturated with sweat, you can pretty much just step outside on your porch. And it's 100% humidity and you just are saturated in a few minutes uh, with, with sweat. To be saturated where you're, you're dripping with whatever you are saturated with. As Followers of Christ, as members of a local church, we want to be saturated with and dripping with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't it obvious if you see somebody who's just been had a bucket of water dumped on them? You don't have to look at them and say, I wonder if they're wet or not, right? I mean, it's just like dripping off of them. You don't have to look at somebody that's, that, that's been out, out in the yard cutting grass and, and um, hauling limbs and all this stuff in 100 degree weather. You don't have to look at them and say, I wonder, if been, I wonder if they've been outside doing hard work. You just know it, right? My daughter, she, she, she just knows intuitively uh, when, when somebody is dirty and sweaty and she doesn't want to get anywhere near them. And so I can walk inside from, from, from cutting grass and, uh, and, and she's like, and I'm like, hey, lady. She's no, don't touch me, don't touch me, lady, don't touch me, don't touch me. I'm like, wow, you're dirty. She knows immediately. She can see it on me. She doesn't have to sit there and wonder if I'm saturated in dirt and sweat. I wonder if people know that you're saturated in the gospel. Christian, do people know, the people you live with, the people you worked with, the people that you go to school with, can they just look at you and very clearly see this is someone who has believed the gospel and been transformed by the gospel. I can see it dripping off of them in everything that they do. Their life is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. A healthy church member will be saturated with the gospel and it will be evidenced by a continual desire to know the gospel better 
and to live out the gospel better in day-to-day life. Now, I want us to look this morning in the book of Titus. There's a lot of places we could go in God's Word to, to, to get an understanding of the gospel. In fact, all of God's Word is about the gospel. But there are several passages of Scripture that just give, in, a, in a, just a few short verses, an incredible summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we find one of those places here in the book of Titus. Now, Paul the Apostle is writing a letter to a man named Titus. Paul has placed him, if you look at chapter 1, verse 5, he, he's placed Titus on an island called Crete, and his job is to put the church in order. So a church has been started there, but it's really young. There's not a lot of order there. People aren't really sure what it means to be a church, to be a Christian. They're all probably new believers in this church. And so Paul puts Titus there to help bring some order in the church. And the two things that, that, that really summarize what Paul tells to Titus is make sure that they're learning and being taught sound doctrine. Make sure that what they're learning and being taught is the truth, is the word of God. And then call them to live a life full of good works. And both of those things center around the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you will, read with me. Uh, Follow along as I read chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Being gospel-saturated means that I am continually growing in my understanding of three things that we see here in this passage. Being gospel-saturated means that I am continually growing in my understanding of three things that we see here in this passage. Now, I'm going to do something a little different from what I normally do, okay? Um, normally I read a passage and we walk through that passage. We start at the beginning of whatever that passage is and we walk through. I'm actually going to start in the middle, okay? And then we're going to go forward a little bit and then we're going to look at what came before and at the end at the same time, all right? That might sound a little confusing, but you'll, you'll understand as we go. But I'll have the verses up on the screen so you know where to look in your Bible. Remember, expositional listener, it's like this, okay? Looking down at your copy of God's Word as we're... Um, as, as we're walking through uh, this passage. So, first thing that being gospel-saturated means I'm continually growing in my understanding of is the depth of my sin. 
if I am gospel saturated, that means that I am continually growing in my understanding of the depth of my sin. I told you we're going to start in the middle. Okay, so I want you to skip verse one and two for now and go to verse three. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Wow. What a description of somebody, right? I mean, did you walk in today thinking, you know what? I once was foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing my days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who I I once was. You wake up this morning and think that about yourself? Maybe not. Probably not. If, If I confess, I would say I don't wake up and think that most mornings. But I should. And so should you. We must be reminded of the depth of our sin. We must be reminded of that on a continual basis. Do you know today that when you come into this world, little baby, sweet little innocent baby, right? You come into this world a sinner dead in your sin. We inherit a sin nature from Adam. Father of all of us. We're descended from Him. And Scripture says, in Adam all die. You're not simply separated from God because you have committed sins in your life. And I think we would all agree we have sinned. If you say you haven't, please Open up your eyes and think about your life. We've all sinned. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But at the heart of our problem as humans isn't simply that we have committed sins. It's that we are sinners. There's a problem deep within our hearts. It's not just that we've done things on the outside that God doesn't like. It's that we were born into sin. The reason that you commit sin is because at the heart of who you are, apart from Christ, is a sinner. And I'm the same way. We are dead in our sins, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. We are children of wrath, he says to the Ephesians, like the rest of mankind. And so what Paul is telling Titus, that Titus needs to tell all the people in this church, is who they were, Before Jesus saved them. Now, if Jesus hasn't saved you, then you are these things. You are dead in sin. And we'll see in a moment, though, if Christ has saved you, that means you once were these things, which is exactly what he says. It's in the past tense. We ourselves were once, and he lists those examples of sin in our life. So why why do I need to be reminded of that? I mean, isn't there enough bad news in the world? Well, yeah, there's a lot of bad news in the world, right? You flip a TV on, open a newspaper, uh, or get on your computer and look at the newspaper, however you do it. And, yeah, there's bad news all around. But we need to be reminded of the bad news of our sin. Why? Why? What happens, even as a Christian, if I begin to forget who I once was? 
well, I think I'm entitled to salvation. I begin to think that maybe it's something that I did, that somehow I was worthy of my salvation, somehow that God owed me salvation. I begin to think that I'm better than this person or that person. And at the heart of it, if I forget the depth of my sin and I stop growing in my understanding of the depth of my sin, I begin to forget my need for a Savior. Someone, think about someone in your life, maybe that you know, that you would say, regardless of where you are with that first question I asked, regardless of what category you're in, you can think of somebody and you're like, that person will be in that third category. I just know, like, I just, I can look at their life, I know they're dripping with the gospel. Think of who that, who that is. Maybe it's a parent, a grandparent, maybe it's a, a child, maybe it's a, a grand, grandchild, maybe it's a friend, I don't know, somebody you work with, or I don't know, think of that person in your life, you're like, man, this person is dripping with the gospel. I, I know that this person is gospel saturated. Just think of maybe who that is in your life. I want to tell you something about that person. That person is deeply aware that he or she is a sinner that is completely undeserving of any of God's goodness in his or her life. That person wakes up and at some point at least during the day thinks, I'm not Worthy of God's love in my life. Someone who is gospel saturated remembers the depth of sin and grows in that understanding. Twenty something years ago, when I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, when I realized that I was a sinner, I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew that Jesus was the only way that can save me. But I can tell you, I can tell you very honestly that my understanding of the depth of my sin is far greater today than it was then. I understood enough of my sin to know that I needed to be saved and I trusted in Christ and God graciously saved me. But the more I read the Bible, honestly, one of the things that always jumps out at me, if I am carefully reading God's word, not just running through it, trying to check it off my daily to-do list, but if I carefully read and study God's Word, one of the things that always jumps out at me is how bad I am and how much I don't deserve for God to love me. Christian, are you growing in your understanding of the depth of your sin? I hope that you are. The second thing that... A gospel-saturated person will be continually growing in their understanding of is this, the depth of God's love. The depth of God's love. I want to read verses 4 through 7 again. And I want you to think about who is the main player, so to speak. Who is the main character? Who is the one doing the work? And what is this person doing? What are the words used to describe the action that this being is doing? What are those words? Because these words, 
if you love Jesus and love the gospel, these words will make your heart explode with joy and compassion. Uh, compassion. Well, we'll get there. Excitement and compassion for those who don't understand this. You ready? Notice what we were. Think about the sin that we were born into, how separated from God we were. But, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Christian, memorize those verses there. This is the gospel. So here's what I ask you to look for. Who is at work in those verses? Not you, not me, God is. Who does the work of salvation? God does the work of salvation. It's His salvation that He came up with, that He planned, that He does everything necessary to provide for us. The only thing it says about us in that passage uh, that we do is really what we don't do. Or we could say what we do that then doesn't do what we thought it was going to do. We like to think that I, I, I like to think that I can save myself, that I don't need someone's help. And so in our sin, we like to say, well, I know that I've sinned, so I need to do some good things so that God will love me and it'll make up for the bad things that I've done. And then maybe God won't punish me. What does this passage say about that? It says that has done nothing to save you. Look at what it said. We are saved not because of works done by us in righteousness. You cannot save yourself. The gospel says you and I can't do it. The gospel also says that God can and he has done it. Why? Because we deserved it? No. Because of his goodness. Because of his loving kindness. Because of his mercy. Because of his grace. So his words there. His goodness. His loving kindness, His mercy, and His grace. A gospel-saturated person is continually growing in his or her understanding of the depth of God's love. If I can for just a minute, I want to flip over to Ephesians. It's a beautiful way that Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, notice what Paul is praying for the Ephesians, for the church there. He says, Knowing that you have been uh, that, that you are rooted and grounded in love, I'm praying that, verse 18, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying the love of God is so high and so deep and so wide that it is going to take his power to give you the strength just to be able to comprehend how much he loves you. And that's a process that takes our entire lives as Christians. Well, I can say that I have grown in my understanding of the depth of my sin. I can also say that through the years I've grown in my understanding of the depth of God's love. And, and even then I, I feel like and I, and I know that I, I just am scratching the surface of how much God loves me. And how much He loves you. That He would send His only Son to rescue us. That Jesus gave Himself up. It says that it is through Jesus Christ our Savior. If we were back up to back up to chapter 2, we find that He describes Jesus as the one in verse 14 who gave Himself up for us. What does that mean? He died on the cross. Why did He die on the cross? Because He was taking God's wrath that you and I deserved upon Himself. The bad news is that you and I are sinners. And we deserve, rightfully so, the wrath of God. It is right for God to punish sinners. But the good news of the Gospel is that God has chosen in His abundant mercy and love and grace and goodness to pour His wrath out on His Son Instead of you and me. And so as Jesus hangs on the cross, he's not just dying a brutally physical death. He's also enduring, absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf. So that you and I could be counted righteous. That's what the word justified in verse 7 means. So that being justified by His grace. So that you and I could be counted righteous. So that God would look at us as if we were perfect. Wow. The depth of God's love. And then He doesn't even say, Hey, I sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And here's this gift of salvation. But really, you're going to have to do some things if you want to. If you want to earn it, if you want to work for it, which then it wouldn't really be a gift. But he's like, you've got to do these things and then I'll apply his blood to your life. Now look at the role of the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he saved us not because of works by, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, all parts of the Trinity involved here in salvation. God the Father sending His Son to die on the cross to rescue us, to pay the price for our sins, so that then God the Spirit could come into our lives, could convict us of our sin, could draw us into a place of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus, and then those beautiful words there would regenerate us and renew us. To be regenerated means to have brand new life breathed into you. We're dead in our sins. A dead person can do nothing to save themselves, to give themselves new life. They need someone from the outside to come in and resuscitate them and bring them back to life. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our lives as He convicts us of sin, applies the blood of Christ to our lives as we place our faith in Jesus. And then God, based on what He has done, Saves us. 
what do we get? Verse 7, the gift of becoming heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Are you growing in your depth of the love of God? Are your understanding of the depth of His love of God? It's something that we'll be growing in for the rest of our lives. And it's beautiful. And we grow in our understanding of the depth of God's love as we hear the gospel, and as we preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. You see, Christian, don't just wake up in the morning and go, wow, what a terrible, dirty, rotten, separated from God sinner I used to be. Then immediately follow that up with, what a great, loving God who would rescue me out of that sin. And the only reason I'm not that person today is because of what God has done through His Son, applied to me through His Spirit. He gets all the glory. Third thing that we want to grow in our understanding of is this. The depth of the Gospel's impact on my life. Not only do I want to grow in my understanding of the depth of my sin, and then grow in my understanding of the depth of God's love, Someone who is truly gospel-saturated will also be growing in their understanding of the depth of the impact that the gospel has on his or her life on a daily basis. You see, God doesn't save us simply to get us into heaven when we die. God saves us so that we will be saved right now, so that we will be made new right now, so that we will live a changed life right now, so that our lives will be filled with bringing Him honor and glory right now. Salvation is not something that we just cash in when we breathe our last breath and say, all right, God, let me into heaven. Eternal life is something that fills us now and changes who we are. We see this by what bookends this explanation of the gospel. Paul has told them who they once were in their sin. He's told them what Jesus has done for them in bringing salvation. But before he said that and after he said that, he was calling them to live a life full of good works. Notice what came first. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. He's calling them to live a changed life. He's calling them to look different than the world around them. And then in verse 8, he says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Before he explains what the gospel is, he says, you should be doing good works. After he explains what the gospel is, he says, your life should be filled with good works. You should be devoted to that. And in the middle, he tells them why that is. Because God has saved them. Not so that they will be able to be saved, but because God has saved them as a free gift, their lives are to be filled with things that bring honor and glory to God. Say, how different are our lives supposed to look? Very. Very different. It's interesting, if we were to back up to chapter 1, Paul 
has given a description of these Cretans. What were these people like that make up this church? If you want to look back for just a second in chapter 1, notice what Paul says about the Cretans. He says, one of the Cretans, he's like, I'm not even saying this myself, one of your own people, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, that's true right there. That's the truth. Notice the description of these people. Liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now look at what is supposed to characterize their lives. Submission to rulers and authorities. Obedience. Readiness for every good work. Speaking evil of no one. Avoiding quarreling. Being gentle with one another. Showing perfect courtesy toward all people. That's what's supposed to characterize their life. I don't know about you, but that's a huge transformation. To go from being an evil beast, a liar, and a lazy glutton, to somebody who is just jumping at every opportunity to show perfect courtesy towards others, to love others, to be obedient to God's word, to be submissive to authority. The gospel does that in our lives. Somebody whose life is saturated by the gospel is growing constantly in their understanding of how the gospel shapes and changes their life. Somebody who's saturated by the gospel cares more about God's opinion of them than man's opinion of them. Somebody whose life has been transformed by the gospel would rather be obedient to God than go along with the crowd around them. Somebody whose life is saturated with the gospel cares more about teaching the gospel to his kids than making sure they're good at whatever sport they play. Someone whose life has been saturated by the gospel shows integrity at work, puts the right time down on the time clock, doesn't fudge the numbers. Somebody whose life has been transformed by the gospel and whose life is dripping with the gospel of Jesus has hope, not despair, when the doctor said it's cancer. Someone whose life has been saturated with the gospel loves, loves sharing the gospel with other people. How is the gospel impacting your life? How is it impacting my life? Someone who's dripping with the gospel, they're dripping with it because they're growing every day in their understanding of the depth of their sin, the depth of God's love, and their depth of how the gospel impacts every area of our See, here's the thing. Everyone in here, everyone in here, your life is saturated by something. It's just the truth. Your life is saturated by something. Some of you, your life is saturated by your work. Your, 
you wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night, thinking about your job and what you can do to get the promotion or to make the next dollar. And that is what drives your world. You're saturated in that. Don't get me wrong, having a job is great, and doing your very best at it is really good. God actually calls us to do that in His Word. But is that what should be saturating your life? For some of you, what's saturating your life right now is whether you can get that boy or that girl to fall in love with you. How you can impress him or her. That's you wake up in the morning. That's what drives what kind of clothes you wear. And how you act. Because I want this person to like me. For some of you, what is saturating your life is your hobbies. You could tell me everything I ever wanted to know and everything I don't want to know about uh, the statistics from the football games that happened yesterday. But you couldn't tell me a whole lot about what the gospel is. Some of your life is saturated by school. Trying to make those grades so that you can get those scholarships and get that job. Some of you, your life is saturated by your children. And and, and your whole focus in life is having kids that grow up that don't embarrass you. That do good in school and get a good job. And all your world is centered around them and they literally have become the gods of your life. Now, are any of these things that I've said bad things? No. I could go through other sins and say some of your lives are saturated just by complete and utter sinfulness, things that we would clearly call sin. All these things can be good things, but they make terrible gods in our lives. And people know what you're saturated by. They do. They do, because you talk about it. You spend your money on it. You spend your time doing it. It's obvious to people around you what your life is saturated by. It's obvious. Is it obvious to you? Maybe this morning what God wants to do in your heart, in my heart, is to wake us up to what really is saturating our lives. And to remind us of the gospel. And what should be saturating we want to be a healthy church, then we must be made of members that are dripping. Not just on Sunday morning. Every day of the week with the gospel. What is your life dripping with? Maybe today you're in that first group, you know you don't know the gospel, and today you need to trust in Christ. You can do that. I'm going to pray in just a minute. While I'm praying, you ask God to save you. Not because you've done any works to deserve it, but because of His great love, abundant mercy, His grace in your life. You ask God to save you, and He will as you place your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're in that second category, that dangerous category. And today you've said, you know what? I thought that I was saved just because I knew some facts about the gospel, but I really don't love Jesus. And he really hasn't changed my life. And today you need to trust in Jesus Christ 
as your Savior and be saved from your sin. Maybe today you're sitting there saying, I've trusted Christ. I know that He has saved me, but I desperately need Him to help me keep my mind focused on the Gospel each and every day. And I want my heart to jump with joy whenever I hear the word Gospel. However you need to respond to God's Word today, please make sure that you're obedient. Every one of us will walk out of here having been either obedient or disobedient to God. I pray that we'll all be obedient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have clearly told us in your word what the gospel is. And it is the good news that in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our unworthiness, you have sent your son Jesus to die to rescue us from our sin. And Father, it's a free gift. It's not something that we work for. It's all because of who You are and what You have done. And so we praise You, Father. We worship You for the Gospel. And Father, we're also reminded that the Gospel changes us. That You are calling this church to look different than the society and the culture around them. You were calling them to stand out. Father, because of this work of salvation that you had done in their hearts. Father, I pray that as a church, and all of our members, that we would daily be growing in our understanding of the depth of our sin, the depth of your love, and the depth of of the impact that the gospel has on our lives. Father, I pray that we would be known as a people that are dripping with the gospel. Father, if there's someone here today who's never trusted in Jesus, maybe because they never understood the gospel, or maybe because they understood it and they just have not ever really believed in Jesus, and never trusted in Christ, never been changed by the gospel. Father, today I pray that they would place their faith in Jesus. He is the only way to be saved. It's only through Him. Father, help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.